All right, what's up, guys? How are you doing today? I uh, um, I wish we could be together. I wish things weren't uh, the way that they are right now, but I believe that God's going to be doing good stuff in the midst of this situation, as different as it is. Um, I do think as a church, we all have a, a part to play in helping kind of stop the spread of this coronavirus as well. So sometimes we have to make some sacrifices uh, and for the good of others and maybe even for the good of ourselves too. I know it can be easy to be discouraged in the situation that we're in right now, um, just because everything kind of ended so abruptly. I know that people probably had goodbyes that they wanted to say to each other that they weren't able to, and it's probably just not the way that you envisioned your year ending. Certainly not the way that I envisioned our school year ending, uh, but I'm thankful for technology and the fact that we're still going to be able to be connected to each other virtually. Uh, this morning, we were initially going to do like an open share time coming back from our spring breaks. We like to have this opportunity for people to just share uh, lots of things that God has done in their lives. And um, we think that the community benefits a lot from hearing from those different voices. But uh, given the fact that we're separated the way we are today and that the spring break trips didn't happen, we had to do something else. So today I actually just want to speak pretty directly into the situation that we're in. I know that uh, because there's been so many changes and because a lot of us are facing difficulties, uh, I, I just thought, man, what, what can I do to help encourage our church to be able to thrive through the situation that we find ourselves in right now? So there's really three things I want to do this morning. First, I just want to discuss the difficulty of the situation that we're in and um, some of the ways that there might be certain pitfalls that we need to be aware of, uh, certain things that we might be reacting to poorly that I want to make sure that we are out in front of. Um, second, I want to talk about how, how is it as Christians that we can thrive in a situation that we're in right now? Uh, what are some things that we've seen biblically that people have done when they've gotten into difficult situations? Because uh, there's certainly uh, an abundance of difficult situations that people find themselves in in the scriptures. And so we have a lot that we can learn from and how they've reacted to difficult situations. And then uh, finally, I want to look at actually the opportunities we have. As much as our lives have changed in unexpected ways, I think that uh, there's some potentially really good opportunities that we're going to have to be able to move the gospel forward here. So before we get into any of that, though, I just want us to pray together. And so wherever you are, just go ahead and bow your head with me and, and we can uh, come to the Father together. Lord, we love you and we thank you that you love us. Thank you that you care for us the way that you do. God, I thank you that you're not surprised by anything that we see happening here. And God, we thank you that you know uh, all things. Lord, you know how uh, this situation is going to play out. And God, we just ask that you would guide us as we try to navigate our way through it. Help us as a church to stay connected to each other and to stay connected to you. God, I pray that as a church community globally that we would uh, be people that serve one another well, that love well, um, that do everything in our power to uh, just be your hands and feet. I pray that you would guide us and direct us in how we can do that in this time. God, I pray for us this morning, even as we're uh, separated physically, that we would still be connected spiritually, that we would be able to learn together, worship together, and approach you together. We love you, Lord, and uh, we thank you so much for who you are. We pray this in your son's awesome name. Amen. Cool. So the way I wanted to do this 
is uh, working through this idea of, of uh, what is, how does the Bible speak to the situation that we're in today? <clears throat> I thought, man, it's a really difficult situation biblically, and, and how can we learn from what they've done? And in my personal quiet times right now, I'm actually hand copying out the book of Genesis. And I'm getting near the end of it. And the last 14 chapters of Genesis are basically the story of this guy named Joseph. And I'll just, uh, the, since it's 14 chapters long, we can't read all of it. So I'm just going to have to do a lot of summary for you. Uh, we'll read a few verses here or there. But basically, Joseph uh, was the son of a man named Jacob. And uh, Jacob, his name was also Israel. It actually got changed to Israel after he had a night of wrestling with God. Uh, but Jacob had 12 sons. And the 11th one was a guy named Joseph. <clears throat> and Joseph was... Uh, his father's favorite son. He totally showed him just overt and obvious favoritism. He made him this really special multicolored coat. Um, he didn't have to work in the same way that his brothers did. They go out to the field and his job was to just go out and look and, and send a report back to his dad. And his brothers absolutely hated him uh, because of the way that his dad showed so much favoritism to him. And so they hated him so much that he actually uh, came out to go check on them one day in the field. And they said, let's just kill this guy. And so they, they hatched this plan to murder their own brother. And uh, compassion gets the better of them, though. And before they do that, they decide instead that they'll just throw him in a pit and figure out what to do with him. And there's these traders that come by, and they are on their way to Egypt. And so they sell Joseph off as a slave instead. And he's carried as a slave on, on his way down to Egypt. His brothers go home and uh, tell his dad that they found that special coat that they gave to Joseph and assume that he had been killed by a wild beast. So anyway, as Joseph makes his way down to Egypt, he ends up in the house of this guy named Potiphar. Now, Potiphar is the captain of the bodyguard for Pharaoh. So he's kind of like the uh, head of the secret service, essentially. Is the Jacob, uh, Jacob find, sorry, Joseph finds himself as a slave in this guy's house. And uh, the cool thing is, though, Joseph was a man that walked closely with the Lord. And so wherever he found himself, he always ended up having success. And uh, Genesis 39, 2 says, the Lord was with Joseph so that he became a successful man. So even though Joseph is a slave in the house of Potiphar, he ends up excelling at it uh, to the point where Potiphar says, I'm going to make you my head slave. I'm going to put everything that I have in your trust. And essentially he's living a pretty good life. Uh, he's benefiting from everything that's in the house, even though he doesn't have his own personal freedom. Well, one problem that happens with him, though, is that uh, Potiphar's wife thinks that Joseph is hot and that uh, she's continually trying to seduce him. She's always trying to get him to sleep with her. And Joseph, being a righteous man, says, no, I'm, I'm not going to do that. He says in Genesis 39, 30, 39, 8 through 9, behold, with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. And he has put all that he owns in my charge. There is no one greater in the house than I. And he has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? Now, notice here in that passage, even Joseph is practicing the great commandment that Jesus would later boil down for us about loving God and loving others. He says, I'm not going to sleep with you. That's a sin against God. And that's a sin against my master. I'm not loving God. or I'm not loving people well. I'm doing either one of those things. And so he continually refuses these advances. But this woman was relentless. And one day she uh, ends up catching Joseph in the house when none of the other slaves were around. And she tries to get him to sleep with her again. 
and Joseph literally runs from her presence. She grabs his clothing and he literally runs from his pre- from her presence. And with that, part of his clothes get, uh, she grabs them and keeps them in her hand. So when her husband gets home, she flips the story and says, hey, that slave Joseph that you have tried to rape me. And uh, here's the here's the clothing that I have as proof of that. And so naturally, his master is really angry and decides, I'm going to send that guy off to jail. And so Joseph gets thrown into jail, even though he did nothing wrong. And as he's in jail, um, he ends up meeting a few guys that we're going to talk about here later. But one thing I want to stop with in this story is that we noticed Joseph has found himself in a really, really difficult situation a couple of different times. First off, he found himself in a pit. So just like us, as we find ourselves in this situation right now, we've, we've had a pretty dramatic life change, not quite as dramatic as what Joseph had. Uh, but we've had some things that are happening to us that maybe are not even any fault of our own, but we just find ourselves in a very, very different situation. And uh, we have to ask ourselves, man, what is it that we should do to, uh, to thrive in this situation? What are some things that we might need to be watching out for in this situation? I imagine some of the emotions that Joseph was probably tempted to feel. Uh, as he was in this. And I think that one of them that he might've been tempted to feel was just anger, right? When something in your life changes, and especially when it's not any fault of your own, it's easy to get really mad. And I think that I've experienced that some of my life, even as the school's shutting down and church isn't being able to play out the way that I want it to, uh, that you end up just getting a little bit angry about the fact that that, that happened. Or uh, maybe you're feeling fear, just maybe you're afraid that you're going to catch the coronavirus or that somebody that you love is going to be affected in some terrible way by the coronavirus. Um, maybe there's just confusion that you're dealing with. Uh, you, you don't really understand entirely what's happening. You don't know how things are going to play out. I think that's one of the biggest things that we can be confused about. How is this going to end? When is this going to end? Am I ever going to be able to uh, just get back to normal life and moving around the way that I want to? Um, maybe you're just dealing with sadness, just the idea that, man, we live in a broken world where a lot of people are suffering. Um, I I can't go to work right now. Maybe I I, uh, feel like I'm sad about the fact that I can't pay my bills, whatever it may be. Or you just are kind of apathetic. Maybe you're emotionally numb. Uh, You feel like you're kind of just a boat being tossed around in the waves, different directions. I don't know how to feel about this situation. I wouldn't be surprised if Joseph in his spot probably was tempted to feel any of those ways. And uh, when we feel those kinds of emotions, a lot of the time this can lead to some really unhealthy coping mechanisms. And I know just even in my own life and through some of the conversations that I've had with other people in the church already, uh, these are some things that we've been dealing with. Like this, uh, this idea of just kind of returning to unhealthy coping mechanisms, whether that's um, kind of going back into a pornography addiction that you may have once had, or uh, maybe just really unhealthy habits, like e- eating really unhealthy Uh, not getting sleep, not having any sort of a good sleep schedule, Um, maybe just excessive entertainment, you know, playing video games all day or watching Netflix all day, any of these kind of things, we can be thrown out of our uh, rhythms because of this kind of stuff. And and I think also one of the things that I've noticed in my own life that uh, has has been a temptation for me recently is just selfishness. I've been um, realizing I, I don't have nearly as many people in my life to care for and uh, I don't have as many job responsibilities as what I'm used to. And so I've noticed like a lot of my own thoughts are just uh, revolving around myself all day, every day. And so what is it that we can do to fight against some of these unhealthy habits that we can be falling into when we have an abrupt uh, life change like what we've had? 
And uh, you probably know my answer to this, but I think that there's legitimate value in it, which is that the first thing I think what we need to do is just pray. And uh, I actually want to take some time to do that together as a community right now, just to pray that the Lord will help us uh, to keep us from any of those kind of negative emotions that we were talking about and from falling into any of those unhealthy coping mechanisms that we were talking about. So let's just take some time to pray together here as a community. I'll lead us. <clears throat> Father, we thank you that you're ahead of us in this situation, that you know all things. Um, God, we thank you that you know um, everything that we're dealing with. And God, I just pray for all of us that are dealing with anger right now about the fact that maybe we're out of work, uh, maybe that we're um, not able to do school the way that we want to do it, that we just can't go to, to see people or uh, be in places that we want to be. God, for any of us that are angry, I pray that you would uh, give us peace. God, for those of us that are dealing with fear. I pray that you would show us that you are a strong tower, that you're a refuge, that you're a rock, God, that you are with us. I think of Psalm 23 where uh, David says that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. God, let us remember that you are a shepherd, that you lead us beside green pastures and still waters and that, um, Lord, whatever may come our way, we know that you're going to take care of us. God, we pray that um, you would help any of us that are that are just struggling with unhealthy coping mechanisms right now. People that are uh, falling back into to bad habits. Um, people that are, are falling subject to temptation, maybe even just because they don't have as much to do. Lord, I ask for your protection there. Think of uh, the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God, I pray that for our church. Lord, we ask that you would help us to uh, connect with you more over this time. I know that sometimes, for whatever reason, when you're feeling those things, it can be harder to pray, even though we have more time. But God, I pray that in this time, we would be a church that actually is on our knees more, that we would pray to you more, and that we would connect with you more. So, Lord, we love you. We thank you for who you are. And we lift this up in the awesome name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Cool. So... We've, we talked about some of these ideas of, hey, these are things that we need to watch out for when we're in a difficult situation. But now I want to spend some time talking about what are things that we can do to really not just uh, watch out for bad stuff, but thrive in the situation that we're in. And uh, with Joseph, I talked about this idea that he was successful everywhere he went because he was close to God. You see that come up time and time throughout his story that it talks about how because Joseph was close to God or because God was with Joseph, that he became a successful man. And so I was thinking about this idea of how is it that we can be people that stay close to God? What are some things that we see in Joseph's life that allowed him to stay close to God? And the first thing that I see is the attitude that he had about uh, his entire situation. It would have been really, really easy for Joseph to just have a terrible attitude about everything that he was going through. I mean, I imagine what I would have been like if I was in that situation. I'd been sold off to slavery by my own brothers, and then I was trying to respect my master by not uh, sleeping with his wife, and instead I get thrown into jail because of my decision to do that. Uh, I, I think it'd be really, really easy to feel sorry for myself. And uh, for a lot of us now, I think that sometimes we can feel sorry for ourselves, that uh, we're not able to do our schoolwork the way that we want to, or maybe we're out of work or whatever it may be. 
But Joseph always seemed to have an attitude where he realized that God was at work in some way uh, in his situation. And um, he consequently, like, wouldn't have been in the positions that he was in if he had just sat around moping all the time or if he had only tried to uh, do the best he could as a slave to not get beaten. Instead, he realized, man, I'm going to make the absolute best of the situation I have, and I'm going to excel at the work that I do. And so for us, as we find ourselves at home, new living situations, uh, new work situations, whatever, we have to think about, man, how is it that I can really excel and do the best that I can in this new situation that I've been put into? Uh, the Apostle Paul also had this attitude. I'm going to sprinkle his stories in here some as well, because he had so many times that he found himself in difficult situations. And I love this attitude that he had because he found himself in jail a lot of time as well. And it was for doing the right things, for preaching the gospel. And look at what he wrote to the church in Philippi. In Philippians uh, 1, 12 through 14, he said, Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else, and that most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. And so Paul, who has found himself in prison, easily could have been really upset about that, angry with God, uh, fearful. And instead he's like, hey, I want you to know God is actually using this for good. Uh, the, the prison guards here are starting to learn about Jesus. And those on the outside, because of my imprisonment, have actually gained boldness in being willing to preach Jesus more. So I think that the, the question for us is, what's the attitude that we're going to have about our situation? Are we going to look at it the way that Joseph or Paul did and say like, hey, what is it that God is doing in the situation that I'm in and how does he want to use me in this new place? Or are we going to let uh, negative emotions be something that starts to run our lives? The uh, next thing I think that we can do in being men and women that do a good job of staying close to God and seeing how he's at work in our situation is uh, we need to be people that practice spiritual disciplines. Um, just simple things like being in prayer, reading the scripture, meditating on the Lord. Silence and solitude, fasting, those kinds of things. And uh, I, I link this back to that idea that once again, Joseph's success was directly tied to the fact that he was close to God. Now, um, God was with Joseph in the midst of all of his difficult situations. Now, we can't make God love us more because of our spiritual disciplines or anything like that. It's not like we're ga uh, getting him to give us his favor. God has given us his favor because he's good. Right, Romans 5, 8 is my favorite Bible verse. It says, but God demonstrates his own love towards us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So we're not going to get God to be with us um, because we practice spiritual disciplines. Okay. As a matter of fact, though, we do know that uh, God works all things together for good for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. So if you're a Christian and, and the blood of Christ has covered you, we know that God is going to use the circumstances that we're in somehow to work together for good. But how does this stuff all tie back to the spiritual disciplines? Well, I, it's not so much that we're earning God's favor, but when we practice spiritual disciplines, when we read our Bible, when we pray, what we're doing is we're getting to experience the fruit of a close relationship with God that he wants us to have. And so the way I would almost illustrate it is God has invited us to a banquet. He's prepared a feast. He's set the table and he's given us the invitation. The question for us is, are we going to come and sit at that table and eat with him? And so when we come and practice our spiritual disciplines, when you're in your Bible, when you're praying, 
when you take a day to fast or when you, you go out to a park for half a day and just spend it in silence and solitude, what you're doing essentially is coming to that table. Uh, it's not so much that you earned God's favor, but rather you're getting to experience the favor that he's prepared for you. And so as we're in a time where it could become easy to be angry or dissatisfied or um, just depressed, we have to say, what am I going to do to come and be close to God and to experience the fruit of a relationship that I have with him? Um, you know, Joseph, even as, as we look at his situation, he was always conscious about the fact that God was at work around him. And that's something that we want to do too, right? Because we know whether we're conscious of it or not, God is always at work in our situations. He's always at work in the places around us. The question for us and our life experience is going to be much different is based on, are we aware of the fact that he's actually doing something around us? And once again, the spiritual disciplines are something that just help us help revive that mindset. As I take time to pray, as I take time to meditate on the Lord, as I take time to speak with him about the situations I'm going through, uh, that allows me to be conscious of the fact that he's at work. And it gives him space to show me how he is. And so just some suggestions that I have for you as we're in this time is use a lot of this extra time that you have not being in physical classes to, to really take your spiritual disciplines more seriously. Be people that read your Bible. Uh, there's a lot of great Bible reading plans out there. Some of you might have started them in January. Maybe you've tapered off by now. Uh, it's, a nice, it's a great time to kind of revive that. Get back on the horse and, and, and keep on reading your scripture. Um, maybe get even like a Bible study partner. I know sometimes if this is something that you struggle with, uh, consistently have somebody else in your life that you're reading through the same thing together with where you can discuss this and you can FaceTime each other once a week or something about it. Uh, I would also suggest um, make like prayer cards or a prayer calendar. Uh, I, I know some people in my life that make a calendar of like different things they want to pray for each week. So uh, on Mondays, I want to pray for my friends. On Tuesdays, I want to pray for my family. On Wednesdays, I want to pray for my church. On Thursdays, I want to pray for our nation. Whatever, something like that that kind of helps structure your prayer life a little bit. And, and uh, that, that can be helpful to, to give some guidance to those times that you have with the Lord. Uh, I would encourage you to schedule a day that you have to just do some extended quiet time with the Lord. We do this for the well every semester where we try to get away for at least like six hours and just have a quiet time with Jesus. And I would say, man, there's nothing stopping you from being able to do that on your own. Make Put a day in your schedule once a month or something as we're away from each other to just go and do that on your own. Go to a park and be with the Lord. Uh, also, just even things like giving of your, whether that's your time or your effort. I know that sometimes we're limited in the ways we can serve right now. If there's legitimately good ways that you can serve, I encourage you to take uh, to take advantage of those. Uh, in some ways, sometimes the best way you can serve is just by actually obeying the quarantine stuff and staying in and making sure that you're not infecting other people. But if there are really good opportunities around you to serve, then do that. Or even just that you can give of your money, uh, whether that's through giving to organizations that are helping uh, with the virus right now, or just simple things like getting like takeout from a restaurant every now and then, as you know, those people's businesses are struggling. Uh, there's a lot of things I think that we can do, um, even from a, a giving standpoint, that I would say is a spiritual discipline. That's something that helps us bring that helps bring us closer to God. Now, just as we want to be people that are, are practicing good habits with the spiritual disciplines and staying close to the Lord, we also want to be people that are making sure that we are refraining from bad habits, right? So our righteousness uh, that we walk in is also going to have a huge impact on 
the experience of closeness that we have with the Lord. Now, our righteousness was bought on the cross by Jesus Christ. You are not righteous based upon the things that you do. You're righteous based upon your faith that you have in Christ. But the experience of the closeness that you have with the Lord is going to be very tied to the righteousness that you have in your life. So if you allow a lot of sin to be uh, dwelling in your life, what that's going to do is it's going to hinder the way that you connect with the Lord. Not so much that it changes your standing before him if you're truly saved, um, but it hinders the quality of your relationship. Just like in a marriage, you're still married if you do things that your wife, that annoy your wife. Uh, but if you consistently are doing those things and bringing those things into your marriage, it's going to hinder the closeness that the two of you experience together. And so sin is very much opposed to, to the nature of God. And as we choose to walk in sin, that means that we're choosing to sacrifice closeness with the Lord. Look at what Paul says in Galatians 5, 16 to 17. It says, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. Paul is telling us as Christians, there's two different ways that we can choose to walk in the flesh or in the spirit. And they're diametrically opposed to one another. So if we choose to walk in the flesh, what does that mean that we're not doing? We're not walking in the spirit. And if we choose to walk in the spirit, what does that mean that we're not doing? We're not walking in the flesh. And so choosing to actually walk in righteousness, to live in righteousness, is going to have a huge impact on the closest that we experience with God in this time, which is going to be especially important as a lot of we're separated from each other. And a lot of time we see and experience God through community. We're kind of hindered to some degree in what we're allowed to do with that right now. Um, so my question for you is just what are you going to do to walk in righteousness in this time? What are you going to do to walk in righteousness in this time? Practicing the spiritual disciplines I talked about earlier is going to be something that can be really helpful for you with that. It's going to refresh your mind and set it on the things of God. But also, I think uh, just community is really important for that. And yeah, we're separated from each other physically, but we can still connect with each other virtually. And that really leads me to my last point I want to talk about without a thrive in this situation, which is community. Um, the Christian life is not meant to be lived alone. And uh, right now, even though we're separated from each other, we live in a time that we have the opportunity to be connected through things like what we're doing right now. Even as we're all uh, worshiping together, we're learning together. Uh, God has one message that he's able to bring to us together as a community through this. Your life groups are still going to be meeting virtually. I encourage you not just to check out and to fall into isolation at this time. But I would encourage you really like press into the relationships that you have. Uh, as staff, we're going to be reaching out a lot to the people in the community. We, we want to make sure that we're getting one-on-one -on -one, uh, FaceTime calls with you and that kind of stuff because it's important for us to stay connected. Uh, we draw a lot of strength from one another. Look at what Hebrews 10, 23 to 25 says. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So you see the author of Hebrews is really trying to help his people understand here, guys, it is vital that we continue meeting together. It is vital that we find ways to stir one another up towards love and good deeds. 
I talked earlier about some of the pitfalls and one of the things that I've been experiencing and struggling with is selfishness. Well, community is something that helps weed selfishness out of us, right? As we have other people in our lives, they're helping us stir each other up towards love and good deeds. And if we're, con- if we're disconnected from each other physically, we still need to do that virtually. And we can have conversations with one another where we accomplish that. He says, do not forsake the, ha- the uh, habit of meeting together as some have. But encourage each other all the more as the day draws near. So don't forsake our meeting together. I know that this isn't the same as our normal Sunday morning. I know your life group is going to feel different than what it does on a normal Thursday night. But we can't afford to forsake those things because they're really important for helping us to to really walk in righteousness and to be people that are close to Jesus. Uh, We see that uh, community is something that the early church really, really valued. You see that in Acts 2 where it talks about how they devoted themselves to fellowship. And uh, that's something that we're going to have to make a choice to. Fellowship is actually going to have to be something more than ever that we have to make a choice to devote ourselves to right now. Because it's not going to happen as naturally and easily as it usually does. We see uh, with, with Joseph, it's not as clear. We don't give him any details about his kind of fellowship that he had in the prison. But you can tell that he didn't isolate himself from one from the other people that were there. Uh, you see that through some of the story. He helps a couple other guys that had dreams, which we're going to talk about in a second. Or when Paul was in prison, we see he didn't isolate himself either. So many of his letters that we have that uh, comprise the New Testament were written from prison. And we see that he would encourage people to come and visit him. In 2 Timothy, he tells Timothy, hey, come make every effort you can to come to me as fast as you can. So even as he was physically isolated, he said, it's important for me to get other people with me that love Jesus. Because he knew that he needed that. Now, Finally, as we move into the last part of this this, uh, message here, I just want to talk some about the opportunity that we have in our situation. We've talked about the difficulty. We've talked about different things that we can do to thrive. But what is it that God might be doing in the midst of this situation? Now, James in chapter 1, it's a relatively familiar verse for a lot of people, but he says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So what James is getting at here is that sometimes God brings trials into our lives because he wants to do something in us internally. He wants to create a certain character in us. And that's what James is saying here. Hey, man, trials produce endurance. They produce perseverance. These are things that end up making us people that are more like Jesus. And so as we're going through this trial right now, there's a chance that God wants to do something in you internally. He wants to grow you in some way. Maybe it's in practicing some of the disciplines I talked about before. Uh, Maybe it's in in learning how you need to devote yourself to pursuing others. I don't know. There's, There's all sorts of different things that God might be trying to do in your life right now and teaching you through the trial that you're going through. But the Bible makes it clear that that these kind of trials, we should actually count it as joy when they come our way because God is going to produce something good in us. Now, not only does God sometimes want to do great things in us through challenges, but he also wants to do great things through us when challenges come. We read earlier in the verse from Philippians about how Paul said, hey, it's actually a good thing that I'm in prison here because the gospel has gone out through all the Praetorian Guard and that other people uh, outside have more boldness to preach the gospel. So we saw that in his attitude. We're saying, hey, man, God is actually doing really great things through the, the struggle that I'm in right now. 
And we actually see the same thing when we read the story of Joseph. Now, I haven't finished the story for you yet. And I, that was intentional because I wanted to save it until this portion where we can see the opportunity of what God does through struggles. So to pick back up on our story with Joseph, he's in jail right now. He's been thrown there because uh, he was trying to be righteous and not sleep with his master's wife. She, she lied about him. He's been wrongfully accused and he's sitting in jail. And as he's there, uh, he talks to a few of his other guys that are in jail. And they both have had these dreams that they're wondering what they mean. Now, Joseph has a history of being a dreamer. Matter of fact, back when he was still at his home with his father, he had this dream that uh, he was going to rise up amongst his brothers and they were going to bow down to him. And that was part of the other reason that they didn't like him. Uh, so anyway, Joseph tells these guys, hey, tell me what, what your dream is. I, mean, I think I can interpret it. God gives interpretations to these. And they both had these dreams. I won't tell you what they are just for sake of time, but one dream essentially was good, saying that the guy was going to get restored back to his position as Pharaoh's cupbearer. He had been thrown in prison. He said, yeah, you're going to get your job back. Pharaoh's going to forgive you. Uh, the other guy, his dream was bad. He was Pharaoh's chief baker, and his dream was saying, uh, you're going to be killed soon. And sure enough, both of those things happened. But Joseph told the cupbearer, he said, hey, when you go back to Pharaoh, put in a good word for me because I'm stuck here in prison. I didn't even do anything wrong. So the cupbearer, sure enough, is restored to his position, but he forgets about Joseph. And so two years go on and Joseph is still sitting in prison, having done nothing wrong. His friend, the cupbearer, has forgot about him. Well, Pharaoh ends up having one of these dreams that nobody can figure out. He has this dream about uh, seven uh, fat cows coming and then getting eaten by seven skinny cows. And he has another dream that's similar as well, which is the same idea. And nobody can figure out what this dream means. So as the cupbearer hears this, he's like, oh, shoot, I forgot. I had this friend back in prison that has the ability to interpret dreams. And you should bring him here. I'm sure he could tell you what it is. So Joseph goes to Pharaoh and uh, he says, yeah, I, I know what your dream means. What it means is there's going to be seven years of abundance in the land. It's going to produce really fruitful. We're going to have a ton of food. And then there's going to be seven years of famine. And everyone's going to be starving. And the famine is going to be so bad that people will almost forget about the seven years of abundance that we had beforehand. So what you need to do is over these next seven years that the land is going to produce a lot of food, you need to do a good job of storing it up so that we can ration it out later when the famine hits. And Pharaoh said, that's a really good idea. Who should I do? Who should I put over this task? And sure enough, he appoints Joseph for overseeing this task. So Joseph kind of becomes the mastermind behind this giant operation of storing Egypt's food uh, for, for the later famine that they know is going to be coming. Well, as was the case with all of Joseph's dreams, this one ends up coming true as well. And uh, sure enough, there's seven years of abundance. They do a great job of storing up food. And then this famine hits. And not only is the land of Egypt affected, but all of the surrounding lands are affected. And that includes Joseph's family, his brothers and his father that are still alive up in, in Israel, or what they called Canaan at the time, but what we now know would, would call Israel. And uh, they're starving to death. And they hear that there's food available down in Egypt. So they go down to Egypt to go and buy food and bring it back. And we'll guess who it is that they have to talk to to get the food. Joseph. Now, it's been a long time since Joseph has seen his brothers. And his brothers in their wildest dreams would never imagine that their little brother that they sold into slavery is now the second most powerful man in Egypt who's controlling this entire food distribution process. 
So they don't recognize him at first. And Joseph plays a little game with them. But eventually he reveals the fact that he's their brother. And they they don't really know how to react. I mean, it's crazy. Joseph actually shows them grace. He blesses them. He moves the family down to Egypt. He takes care of them. And eventually his father dies. And when his father dies, the brothers are, are scared because they're like, Joseph might let loose on us now and pay us back for all the harm that we did for him. Maybe he was just holding off and being nice to us while dad was still alive. And, and now he's really going to, to show us his wrath. And so they're worried. And they come and they bow down for him. They say, Joseph, we're your slaves. And Joseph has the most amazing reaction and continuing to show them grace. He says this in Genesis um, chapter 50, verse, starting at verse 19, he says, do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. And Joseph realizes that all of the wrong that had been done to him, every change in his circumstance, every terrible thing was all done because God knew what he was doing. And he wanted to use Joseph through this situation to save many people, not just his family, but also tons of people in Egypt and the surrounding area that would have starved to death if not for Joseph being there, being able to interpret these dreams and being able to administer the, the food saving and distribution in the way that it needed to be done. So as I look at that in our situation today, I have to say, man, what is it that God wants to do through the change in our circumstances, through our different situations right now? What we see is something that might be for evil. What we see is something that might be for harm. Who knows the kind of good that God wants to do through it? I can't even begin to imagine the kind of opportunities that might be in front of us and what God wants to do. I do know that one thing I can clearly see uh, that, that should be happening, I think might create opportunities for us as Christians, is the fact that more people are thinking about death and sickness and brokenness and just the, the frailty and the brevity of human life. And that's a good thing. We need to be people that think about that. Ecclesiastes 7.2 says, It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, because that is the end of every man, and the living takes it to heart. And so what the scripture is saying here is, guys, you need to ponder the fact that life is going to end at some point. Now, I know we don't like to walk around and think about death all the time, but it's an important thing that we need to take into consideration. And as Christians, the good news that we have is like, man, we have eternal life, right? That's one of the things that God has promised us. And so, yeah, even though we know that our physical death is coming, we realize that ultimately we have eternal life. We're going to be raised to life with the Lord and we're going to live with him forever. But unfortunately, a lot of our world chooses not to really think about the fact that there's an inevitable time coming where they are going to die. And when something like this pandemic that hits our globe, that's killing people by the thousands, uh, that, that even if it doesn't kill, it's, it's making people weak. It's, it, I think, moving people's minds more towards this direction of, man, there is going to come a day that I'm going to die. And what's going to happen on the other side of that? And that, that's a, as Christians, we're the people that have the answers to this. We can say, yeah, I, I know what's going to happen on the other side. And this is how we can be prepared for it. The good news is that Jesus made it possible for us to be able to be prepared for death. That even though we know that this body is going to perish, we know that he's prepared for us a home with his father. That we can be raised to life, 
and that we can live with him forever. And all of that was possible because he paid for our sins on the cross. And so this opens up an opportunity for us to share the gospel with people. The cool thing is not only have we been given eternal life, but we've been given abundant life. So even in this time that we have here now, Jesus said that in John 10, 10, that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So not only does do we get eternal life where we can look forward to what happens after death, but we know how to live life to the fullest right now as Christians. And so in a time where a lot of other people are going to be racked with fear, not knowing what's going to happen, wondering how their life is going to change, wondering what the new normal is, all these kind of things. We don't necessarily know the answers to those questions either, but we know that no matter what our circumstances are, that God is with us in the midst of those and that we can have abundant life because we walk with him. And so the gospel is the answer both for uh, what our life should look like now and for the life that we have that's yet to come. So I hope that in the midst of of all this coronavirus stuff, as terrible as it is, that we see this as an opportunity for God to work through us. God has you in the spot where you are for a reason. So I know many of you would prefer to be back here. You wish that you were with your community. You wish that you were getting to hang out with your friends all the time. You wish you were able to do your classes in person. I get it. In many ways, I wish that, I wish you were all here because I love you and I miss you. Um, but God has put you back in the spots where you are for a reason. And so think, how is it that God wants to work through me and, and my family that he may have sent me back home to? You know, maybe you have family members that you're going to have the opportunity to witness to or to help strengthen their faith or that they're going to bless you in some way that you weren't expecting. Uh, Maybe you have friends back in your hometown that you're going to be able to affect in a way that you weren't going to be able to otherwise. Uh, We don't know. There's endless possibilities, but we need to be people that have our eyes open to it. And so if we do the things I was talking about before, where we have the right attitude about this and we practice the spiritual disciplines and we walk in righteousness and we're, we're engaging in community, then we're going to be better prepared to see how God wants to work both in us and through us in the midst of this situation. So I love you guys. I am excited to see what God is going to do with us together as a church in the midst of this. And uh, as I said, let's stay together. This Thursday, we're still going to be doing life group. Your life group leaders should be in contact with you about that. Uh, but I just want to close us in prayer. God, we love you, and uh, we thank you so much for who you are. I thank you that you care for us and uh, that you bless us and that you're always at work in every situation. God, help us to be men and women that uh, have the right attitude about this, that men and women that draw close to you through spiritual disciplines, people that walk by the Spirit, that walk in righteousness, and people that press into community. God, help us to see the opportunities that are in front of us and to take hold of them. We love you and we pray this in your son's awesome name. Amen.